0: おはようさん。メイインジャパン梅雨面白いさて、アラートは英語一般地球の旅人人事え、、ただそれえ、僕はとても楽しい welcome back to
1: the made in japan podcast host elliot greeting you on a typical sunday during japan's rainy season which is to say some of the most uncomfortable weather in the world i hope this episode finds all listeners well i understand that while circumstances differ from country to country many places around the world seem to be moving toward some semblance of pre-covid normalcy that being said Every day, the world seems to be inching closer to some sort of new global standard, one that entails unprecedented disruption and is fraught with economic peril. Western nations especially seem to be on the precipice of resetting social and cultural norms. While the global impact of COVID-19 is not lost on Japan, I fear that the relative ease with which the country dodged the pandemic has created a sort of boiling frog phenomenon wherein the country fails to take in the greater socio-historical context and falls back into patterns of old. Father time will surely tell, and regardless of how history looks back on June of 2020, I hope everyone listening is happy, healthy, and motivated to continue working through the struggles that lie ahead. My guest today is Mr. Chi Ming Lo, a world traveler, international businessman, collaborator, motivator, and, currently, human resources project manager at a major Japanese trading company located in Nagoya, Japan. Originally from Malaysia, Chiming has lived in a handful of interesting and exotic places throughout Southeast and East Asia, and has spent his last six years here in Central Japan. And Given his occupation, uh, managing human resources at a multinational organization, He is a polyglot and extremely knowledgeable in intercultural communication, diversity management, cross-cultural conflict resolution, creating collaborative workspaces, and this ethos seems to flow from every fiber of his being. Ming is an extremely warm and positive person. He is endlessly curious, always asking engaging and challenging questions. While we've known each other for over six months now, I had never taken the time to pour into his background, and today's podcast was in many ways my excuse to sit down and rifle questions at him. In the interview, we discuss his one-of-a-kind journey to Japan, the main content of his work today, some of the major problems that Japanese companies face when trying to embrace internationalization, and skydiving, his hobby as well. At the very end of the conversation, Ming also introduces a community called Diversity Dojo, a volunteer group focused on personal development, which I have linked in the episode description. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you all enjoy listening. In many ways, I feel that Ming and the spirit that he embodies are perfect not only for Japan, but for the entire world right now, as we sit at this unstable crossroads. Until next time.
2: good actually I mean uh, mm. I'm you know, always you know, working very independently because I do a lot of creative work and I need a space and time yeah. so coronavirus and everybody get isolated is actually you know, working pretty well for me yeah. I don't really work well in the, in the office, you know, in the open environment and all that. And, then, yeah. you know, having the noises and distraction, the phones calling in and stuff like that. Right. So for me, it's actually, you know, a blessing in disguise, actually. Yeah? <laughs> yeah.
1: So you, you, did you work at home throughout the entire, what, month and a half that no. we were in the... No? Uh,
2: I think I'm the most disobedient, you know, uh, <laughs> guy ever because I work a lot in different cafes and I just move around and around. So I could be... Two, three different spots a yeah, day. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. Uh, just you know, just change your environment. Change the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I wrote my master's thesis in in various Starbucks around Osaka. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> every day going to some place else and sort of re- getting that new the the inspiration you receive from that fresh environment. And then just riding away. And I would just repeat. I had a rotation. And I yeah, yeah, I need
2: that actually. If I stay at home, most probably i fall asleep. Huh? Yeah. I try to do yeah. something. I try to get comfortable. I lay on the ground and all that. And then I yeah. just... Like, oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's good to see you. You look good. You mm-hmm. look healthy as always. Oh, because I've been working in the afternoon after lunch... Yeah. You know, on the balcony and getting some sun. Yeah. Putting a little <laughs> umbrella over my PC just make sure it never get overheated by I get all the sun. It's am A little bit ten right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that I
1: noticed that. You kinda got the, the beach the, the beach body going right yeah. now. So yeah. Good. Good deal. Well, um, you know, we have worked together. Uh we first met what, a little over half a year ago now, I think. Yeah. I think it was the end of last year. Um uh, we worked together on a workshop, uh not Digital workshop mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that I noticed actually in preparing for this podcast was that I only know a little bit about your past oh right and uh-huh. so I would, I would uh-huh. like to start first with you kind of going through what it is that brought you here to Japan because I know uh, that you've actually lived in a couple different countries Right, and so I I wanted you to to kind of start from the beginning and go back through what it is that led you out of your home country and then eventually
2: to, to working here in in Nagoya, Japan. Uh, well, it's like you know many different people. You know a lot of people that work in Japan they started out you know loving the culture or maybe mm. they read some comics and anime and stuff like that. So when right. I was younger, you know I was a fan of a lot of uh, Japanese sports comic. Really? Yep. You know, what did things What did like you like? Yeah. Captain Tsubasa, uh, Slam Dunk, and stuff Slime like. Slam Dunk. Uh, yeah. You know okay. the typical, you know, boys' comic kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I was back in school, yeah, that got me into the culture, Then I started to study the language. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, my time. But I'm forty three right now. So when I first started studying, there's no, uh, no internet and stuff like it. So right. what I do, you know, we study from songs, lyrics, from right, newspaper, right. anything and you can get your hands on. Yeah, anything yeah. that you can get our, my hands on, then I used to work for uh, Maruzen, the bookstore. Really? Yeah. Back in back in Malaysia, just to just to get exposed to a lot of the Japanese texts and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So that was intentional then.
1: Yeah, that yeah. was very intentional. Okay.
2: And that was when I was in college, I think. Okay. Yeah. Where are you, where in uh, Malaysia are you from originally? Kuala Lumpur. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So So that was a start and then uh, it's always been, you know, like an aspiration to always work for a Japanese company first. Mm. Not really in Japan, but, you know, eventually, yeah, I mean, working in Japan could be fun, you know, I I don't know the place. So, uh, this job right here in Nagoya, you know, a little bit of a coincidence. Mm. Uh How's that? Um... I was working in different countries and the last one before getting this job, this company, I was in Singapore, actually. You're in Singapore. I was in Singapore. And then I left the company in Singapore. Uh, It was another Japanese company, Fujitsu, the computer company. Right, right. Uh, I left the job. I was about to go to South America. Really? Yeah. Because really? I love that I, I, I learn different languages. I love languages. Yeah. Way. So the next spot is, yeah you know, I, I would love to master Spanish. Mm. So why don't I just go to Spain or not Spain, uh, I mean Chile or Costa Rica, something right, like right. that. Okay. So uh, I was about to go actually. Really? Yeah. Then I came to Japan for a quick holiday to see some friends, went back to Malaysia. Yeah. And then when I went to Malaysia, you know, uh, the tax the, the division back in, in, in Singapore sent a mail back home. He said you have some problem with your income tax that you need to settle before you, know, you leave Singapore. And what? <laughs> yeah, I went back to Singapore, I got a letter and then you know, I got a court order that said you are, you are not allowed to leave the country mm. until you settle this. And then there is like... No a, kidding, wow. have to go to court and you know, do that kind of say yeah. like, What is this? Yeah. The only problem is when I left Singapore, I didn't tell them I'm leaving the country. I have a permanent residency there and uh. they still think I'm working there and I didn't actually uh, report my income tax but I have no job at the time because I already left the country. Mm. Anyway, then uh, it, it takes like what, two to three months to get that done. I was getting right. bored. What am I going to do, man? I right. mean, uh, so Around what year was this? Sorry. 2005, I think. Okay. Okay. 15 yeah, years, years, ago. years ago. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I start sending out a resume going to, you know, a uh, uh, recruiting firm and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Then I went to a few interviews. You know, economy was pretty good at that time and, uh, mm. you know, for Malaysian to get a job in Singapore is pretty easy actually. Oh, okay. So I, yeah. went, I went through a few yeah. interviews, and then uh, there's this company, Toyota Show, and then mm. uh, I went there, I talked to the managers, and then, you know, I found that the job is pretty interesting. Yeah. My initial impression at the time, okay, let's just work for them for six months. I mm. get my stuff cleared, <laughs> and then I leave for South America. Oh, um, you're still set on South America then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still wanted to do that, actually. Yeah. And uh, then I joined the company, and then my role is a lot on... Uh, Trading as in, you know, buy and sell commodity and things and product into Middle East. So, yeah, I get to travel to Saudi, to Iran and, you know, Iraq and Jordan and Dubai and places that I'll never go for, you know, Mm. a vacation for sure. Mm. So, uh, I really enjoy doing that and I continue and continue. Eventually, I, I, you know, it took me like two years. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually I, I really need to leave, you know, and just continue my dream of learning and mastering another language. Okay. Uh, but then what kind of commodities were you trading? Not really commodities Mm. as a different product, uh, mainly in automotive industries, for example, parts and accessories. Okay. Okay. Uh, wow.
1: So you were, you were traveling back and forth then to the middle East for Mm. a couple of years then. Yeah. Yeah.
2: for two years, actually, Mm. Mm. I was working for Toyota social from 2005, to 2007 for that department. Right. So mainly on business development in middle East. Okay. And then one day, I thinking, you know, I, I always wanted to go South America and, 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 you know, to master another language. So, yeah. I think it's time, you know, because I, I can't do Arabic in Middle East. It's too difficult. I don't have the motivation mm. to do that. I didn't yeah. study... Master s- Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese is not an easy language. I didn't master it, but I get to do yeah. a lot of that. Mm. The reason why they hired me in the first place is because I could speak a little bit of Japanese. Mm. So, you know, started to use Japanese a lot in the office in Singapore. So, mm. that was good. Sure. Uh, yeah, And I think that's one motivation for me to stay at that company because I, I was there for two years and I had to speak Japanese with them. Sure, sure. So uh, I could stay for two years, but then I still need another language, you know, just something that I wanted to do. How many languages do you speak? Uh, As good as English, maybe a little bit of Chinese, you know. Uh, Japanese, not as good as anymore as in Japanese and English right now, French mm. and Spanish. I used to do a little bit of Italian as well. Isn't that
1: enough? Isn't that enough, Jimmy? You,
2: now you're no, just not getting greedy. Really. Now, right, now, yes, but at the time, I only did Chinese, Malay, English, and you know, Japanese also. Oh, just four uh, languages. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all Asian, you see? That's true. Well, English is different, but... Well, yeah. Malaysian English is, is different from <laughs> English. Really?
1: Oh. Yeah, I imagine. Okay, yeah, sorry. Anyway, uh, so you were still looking... Um. To study another language You had that opportunity In Singapore in the office So you continued working there For a couple of years That's And curious. then And then
2: uh, yeah. I needed another language And then uh, uh, Before getting another job Knowing where I want to go I just standard my resignation. I need to go right now I was in a really good relationship with my boss. I said, boss, can you just let me go for six months and I'll be back after six months. I just need to do another, you know, another adventure before I really settle down. I like this company. Yeah. But please let me go for six months and I'll be back. And then uh, uh, maybe I'll stay for the rest of my life. I don't know, but please let me go. And then he said, okay, fine, fine. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty lenient. But boss, it, I, yeah. I still have to tender my resignation because there's no, no mm. sabbatical or anything like that for right. a Japanese company. Right, right. So I tendered. And then when I did that, then uh, I sort of like, you know... Uh, Fix my mind into it, okay, let's find another job that allows me to travel and, mm. you know, do a little bit of languages sure. I started calling my friends and stuff like that yeah. I, I used to live in Maldive mm. before I come to Singapore mm, Really? In a sports resort and then I know some friends that have been all over the now, world right now working for different places And this is this one Japanese lady, she's from Hokkaido yeah. She's working on an island called Bora Bora Okay, Very okay. French Polynesian yeah yeah, Taiti. yeah. Uh then so happened we get connected, I say, Hey you're in Bora Bora, do you have a job for me? Because I know there's a French Polynesian, people speak French there. Right. And I know, you know, people from all over the world travel to that island. It'll right. be fun for me to do, you know, and uh, do my <laughs> stuff there. I yeah. can speak Japanese right now, you know. And then she spoke to her boss. Uh it was a jewelry shop selling black pole. Really? Wow. To the tourists Wow uh, And you were an expert in
1: Black Pearls at that time
2: Nope <laughs> Nope I can speak a few languages Yeah uh-huh. I can sell a little But not mm. hard selling You know how people When you're a tourist you go Oh to the man tourist, it's, you know, brutal. it's brutal Man It's yeah. bad yeah. Never ever buy anything mm. You know From that kind of places Because <laughs> right. you really You know Take every I don't know Penny out of your pocket yeah, all yeah, And stuff yeah. like that so eventually, I had a Skype meeting with her boss, mm. you know, in Bora Bora, mm. and then I got a job, and then I went there for a year. Wow. Yeah, and then I had a lot of fun, and then so happened that, uh, you know, I got really close to, to the boss of uh, of one resort. Mm. He was a general manager at the time. It's a place called Clubmate, originally French. Mm. Uh, And then uh, he got transferred from Bora Bora to Ishigaki in Okinawa. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then I uh, hey, Chimek, you know, you, you, you speak, you know, now you speak French, you speak Japanese, you speak, you know, a bit of Italian, thanks to Bora Bora, because <laughs> we have a lot of Italian honeymoon couples, and I'm really oh, okay, close to them. Okay, yeah. I said, would you want to come to Ishigaki and join me? Yeah. Uh, he knew that I love windsurfing, and okay. Ishigaki is a place where you get crazy wind. Really? When the season is in. Yeah. So ask yeah, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. so me, would you want to come to me to Ishigaki, you know, you can do some windsurfing, you can, you know, uh be a windsurfing instructor for me over there. I say, Oh, why not? Yeah, <laughs> I just mm. left Bora Bora, I went to Ishigaki, so one year in Bora Bora, one year in Ishigaki. Yeah. And then I left Ishigaki after that. I traveled a little bit. and I went back to the same company back in Singapore. I asked my boss, was, uh, you know, it's not six months. You know, I went for a little bit more than two years. But you still, <laughs> you still mind having me back? I said, yeah, I still really like <laughs> this company. <laughs> <Yeah. Is> that- <laughs> I said, okay, fine, fine. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wow. I went, I went back to the same company, Toyota Tzu Show in Singapore. Good for that boss. Yeah. 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 Well, it's really funny because uh, then the, the, the CEO changed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah. that was a really funny interview because you know, for that company to get hired at my position, we have to go through the final interview with the CEO. Mm. They said you look really fishy, man. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen anybody just go travel like that and come back to the and, and you dare to come back to the same company. I said, yeah. but then I said, no, no, no. I had I had a conversation with my general manager, and it was mm. in agreement before I left. You know. Right. right. <laughs> uh, and he bought that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and we became really good friends as well with the CEO. Is that the current CEO or has the CEO then changed since then? The current CEO at that time. Okay. But then he got reassigned back to Japan. We are still in close relationship in Japan because Mm. we are in the same office right now back in Japan. Okay. Uh, All right. Mm. So that, you know, uh, worked out uh, miraculously
1: and that put you back in your your current company. But that was still in Singapore, no?
2: Same company, Mm. same location, Mm. same department, Mm. same boss. Yeah <laughs> nothing so I did, changed. I did two years. Now you speak French. That's the only Now difference. I speak French. I speak a little bit of Italian. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. But I have yeah. got no extra skill other than sl- studying Windsurfing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you had a great ten then as well. Yeah. yeah. First period was two thousand five to two thousand seven. Right. So that was in uh you know business development in the automotive industry. Mm. Then I came back two thousand ten to two thousand fourteen. So four years More or less in the same division, you know, doing business development as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. How long did you remain there? Because I know that's not where you currently are. Yeah, yeah. Right now I'm based in Nagoya, I've been here for six years. Right. But uh, I was there for like four years, 10 to 14. Mm. Um, So always been in business development. Yeah. And uh, well, the reason that got me into Japan was another coincidence, actually. Mm. Uh, uh, What's that? we had a business competition at the time, you know, at the end of 2013, I think. Mm. You know, it's a business competition, uh, you know, you pitch in, and then if you've got a good idea, the company will sort of like fund you and you know, let you actually try it out, you know, some kind of like entrepreneurship program for the company. Internally, yeah? Yeah, internally. Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the second round is no more Middle East for me. I've been doing a lot of Southeast Asia business. So one of the, the core country that I've been working on is with uh, Cambodia. Okay, yeah. so one day, you know, uh, well the business partner in Cambodia is more on, you know, Toyota distributors. So we, we partner with them, mm. we build a Toyota distributorship in Cambodia and we sell cars, mm. very typical thing. We sell cars, we get a percentage of margin out of it and we build a business by selling more cars in the country. Right. And then I also do some uh, tire business with this business partner. So they are our company business partner and we all both have equity in all the different business that we venture in Cambodia. Mm. So I'm very close to the family and mm. then one day, you know, I travel like once a month over there and mm. then, um, you know, we always have dinner, we go have party and stuff like that. So one day, we were, you know, we have this dinner, I still remember it was like a oyster restaurant right next to the river. It's really nice, really wow. cozy, really quiet, really, you know, peaceful. And then while well, we're having the dinner and then uh, and I just asked that guy, I asked the CEO's son, I said, you know, what, what? what you know what new business can we do in the country actually something mm. that you're passionate about something that we can help to develop the country mm. and straight he told me is that he said you know she mean you know I, I love selling cars you know we make money out of this but this is mm. not something that the country needs you know because toyota is mm. pretty, you know rather expensive in cambodia and people that buy toyota are rich people so selling right. more cars to rich people doesn't really help the economy or help the country at all mm. and then say yeah i know but you know what else can we do mm. They say you know uh you know i would really want to sell more agricultural machinery construction machinery you know mm. so the more i could sell that the more development we can do for the country the, yeah, more basic the more infrastructure. tractor we mm. can sell to the farmers the higher productivity sure. they get because everything sure. is very manual right now right. In, in cambodia say yeah this is a good idea but you know we already have such partnership because as a trading company we have a different division Mm. i'm from automotive division Mm. but we also have machinery division Mm. which they are already partnering with so they are selling agricultural machinery into the country right so what do you mean you want to sell more right so what can we do to sell more of Mm. those things to the country to Mm. the farmers especially to the poor farmers and then he said you know yeah i have the product but we don't have the finance to mm. sell it to the farm. They don't have the financial capability to buy from us. Right. Unless we can sell them with lease, you know. Okay. Okay. Then, right. Then, right. then yeah. Okay. Well, I think we need to build a bank then. And then we were just having fun. Like, yeah. Let's build a bank. You know, let's build, let's build a financial company. Yeah. That we can actually sell them on lease to all the farmers or construction <laughs> company that need to buy new machinery. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. And then we had this discussion and then, so Oh, then I just raised my, I want to join the business competition. The problem with Japanese company, when you have mm. business competition, nobody want to join because it's just extra work. Right, right. Say? So yeah. nobody wants to just, you know, take away their time, you know, do that thing and take the risk. Japanese are pretty risk-averse to try new things. So business Very competition... Very risk-averse society. Yeah. It's not something they like to do. Right. But then I've got this idea, uh, I'm not Japanese, I'm a bit crazy, you know, <laughs> I, I do different stuff. I raise my hand, yeah, I want to join the business competition. Yeah. Then, uh, I pitch in my idea. We did some studies. We did some analytics, and then we we, we tell me, show them, you know, all the things that not only we can, you know, benefit all the farmers and all that, but with the yeah. financial company, we can now start to sell cars. Mm. You know, with a lease. So As we don't well, only right? sell to rich people, we can sell to people with middle income. Right. So right. they can actually, you know, pay them back on loan and you know, we don't need a bank. We can actually handle all this. Right. You know, Japanese uh, interest rate is very low if we can find some way to channel the capital from Japan, low interest rate, into Cambodia, mm. it is not a very difficult business to do. Right. Right. So we did all our studies and then we bring it in and uh, that was actually the critical point that got me into Japan. What actually happened mm. was I belong to the automotive division. Right. When I pitched the idea and then of course I have to actually uh report to my home division back mm. in Japan, mm. automotive, because you know this is what I want to do, you know, you can take away my time and money and blah 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 and all that kinda have to report to the home division in Japan. Right. Automotive. Right. And then I got very surprised because what they mm. told me is that, mm, you know what, if you want to build that financial company, the finance company in Cambodia, it's fine, yeah. but I don't want you to touch any other product other than cars. Um, mm, why is that? I so that's strange though, but that machinery product that the Cambodian business partner is dealing with is from our company, just another business division right. in within Toyota, to sure. Right, right. right? <laughs> uh, and then they said, no. I said, mm-hmm. why? Oh, uh, well, because that is not our product. We don't understand the product. We don't understand the risk.
1: Mm. As so, a trading company, you're yeah. just moving it from right to left, right? Yeah, is so that we, since mm-hmm. we
2: don't understand the product, uh, mm. you know, we better just focus in our own product, which is cars. cars yeah. If the machinery department want to build their own finance company, let them build their own. Then I felt, oh, okay, this is what mm. you mean by synergy. You know, we talk about it. You know, <laughs> You talk a lot about silo busting and all that and all that, you know. Yeah. But you know, when when it comes to a real project, you know, everybody get very, you know, independent. You know, right, They right. want to protect their self interest. They don't want to take any extra risk and all that, even though it's from from the same company. Mm. So I got pretty upset. Then mm. I was about to, I, I was fighting with them for like six months with the home, uh, with with the headquarters, really automotive mm. division, and we were negotiating, discussing and all that. And uh, you know, I got pretty fed up. I was about actually to leave for the second time. <laughs> yep. Permanently. Permanently. Mm. Yeah. And then uh during the business competition there is one special day yeah. when a top executive from Japan will fly all over to Singapore mm. and mentor you on your project. Mm. Okay. okay. And then uh you know, prepare for that. We did a presentation to this executive. He's he was like the vice president and all that, and then after that uh he sort of liked the idea, Yeah. Okay, although there's a lot of flaws in the analysis, but he said, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good project with a good purpose, you know. Right. trading company is not to go into a company and try to, into any country and just try to squeeze as much profit as possible. We want to leave some positive impact to the society. Sure. Sure. Then he said, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Uh, just let me know if you if, if if you if you hit any walls, I'll try to I'll try to help you out. <laughs> so you have already hit a couple yeah, walls, so yeah. <laughs> I didn't hit that wall yet at the time. So oh, okay. six okay. months later, when I mm. was in fighting, and then I've got nothing left. Yeah. And I just called him. Mm. I was already about to leave. I mean, sort of. Right, right. my Yeah. I told him yeah. that. Okay. This is a problem I have now. You told me that you know we should do you know that kind of synergy. You know, right. higher purpose, kind of, you know, back to the society, right. know, contribution and all that. But right. when it comes to all these kind of projects right now, you know, I hit this wall, you know, how do you explain to me about how silo we are? Right. Then a couple of days later, I heard that he made some phone calls. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, the project actually has been ongoing at the time. But then the people mm. from the home division in, in Japan took over the company and they went to Cambodia. Mm. They're actually trying to establish the finance company, but only for cars. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But then after I told that story, a couple of weeks later, the person in charge of the project from Japan came to, you know, explain the project, the finance company to our business partner in Cambodia. I was there and then all in a sudden the presentation has, you know, agricultural missionary construction missionary mm. this and this that's weird since when <laughs> you know, that, that story changed and all that right right and then i figured it out that the person that i talked to he made Stood a few phone it. calls yeah. and then he told them a few things and then mm. they've changed the plan mm. and why i say this is one of the reasons that got me into japan is because that executive a couple of weeks after the entire event mm. he called me i said hey chimeng you know you are quite a troublemaker, you know, <laughs> you, cr- you like to create chaos, you know, But yeah. you want to come to Japan, you know, in corporate, in HR to, you know, to, to break some rules and mm. to shape some of the norms that we do things right, and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. Loosen yeah. everyone up a bit. Loosen them up <laughs> and change the, a little bit of the way that we do things. I say, Sure. yeah, sure, why not? You know, I've got mm. nothing much better than to do it right so <laughs> now. Yeah. And that brought me to to Japan actually, and all happened in one day actually. So that was two thousand fourteen then. You yeah, said? yeah. So two thousand thirteen end of two thousand thirteen I think. Then I came two thousand fourteen. Mm. So s- six years now. Six and how years do years. how do you
1: like HR? How do you like working at headquarters? How's that uh, different? How's that different in
2: than working in an overseas subsidiary? The role, I actually really like it Because mm. I, I, I sort of like teaching I used to be a teacher in a high school You know, way back How many jobs have you had? It's incredible I had a <laughs> lot of crazy different jobs <laughs> But, you know, when I start to reflect, you know You know, on hindsight I like teaching, actually Yeah So, you know, when I talk about Bora Bora Ishigaki And all that kind of stuff I do a lot of instruction as well I do a lot of sports mm. instruction mm. You know, I teach people how to do, actually do windsurfing And yeah. then I teach people how to play squash in Singapore and I was teaching, you know, languages back here, you know, in different places. So teaching has always been something. Comes very natural yeah, for me. Yeah. I'm very passionate about it as well. Yeah. And so this role in Heisha, is a lot about, you know, empowering people and, and sharing knowledge and, you know, try to create collaboration. Right. So the role fits me really well. Yeah. Uh, and as for Japan, it's, it's a lot of fun as well. Because mm. being a trading company, a big network, we call it also a global company, but... HQ is like the main office yeah. where you overlook all the different nations around right, the world right, right. so you get a lot of interesting data information mm. and you can really oversee the entire strategy of the company. So being HQ is great, uh, the role is, is something that I like mm. so it has been really tough six years but it's something that I'm really passionate about. A tough mm. six years? Yeah. How's that? Tough for you personally, tough
1: for you within the company, tough because of the content of the work? Part of it is content
2: of the work mm. because, you know, I'm, I'm brought in by this executive for a very specific mission. Mm. Expectations know, are high. Troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, when you're, you're having that label, I mean, I knew that I'm going to cause a lot of trouble intentionally right. to break the norm. Right. But when you do that, it can get very lonely. Uh, okay, you know especially I mean? in Japan, especially in Japan, mm. you know, without I'm doing it alone, yeah, yeah, and we don 't have an entire army of you know the the crazy people to actually do this together so right crimes, right. because you know people will be talking bad about you, you know they'll mm. be, you know having rumors and you know why is he so special he can do whatever he wants he doesn 't need to follow the rules, but everybody have to do the mm. process of all this nemawashi, and then he 's going to mm. speak directly to this person, that person, and do whatever he wants. Mm. I knew that it's going to cause a lot of problem in the Japanese society, but I knew this is what I need to do. Yeah. At least for what I'm asked to do as a mission. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. How, what is, give me an example of, of
1: causing chaos, breaking rules, different things like that, that, that the other employees
2: cannot do. A very simple example Mm -hmm. is just, you know, speaking your mind out very frankly Mm -hmm. in front of everybody Mm -hmm. when you know something is not going to work.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something that Japanese people will not yeah. do <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> they will defer to the the authority figure in the yeah. room
2: yeah so in one way there's not a lot of psychological safety when you have an open meeting in that right. what I mean is that you cannot really say what you think right but sometimes you know when when, when you don't really speak up what's going to happen is that you know everybody will, will sort of have like that I don't know false belief that we're making the right decisions is everybody is making that decision so it's fine. Mm. Uh, So without that psychological safety to speak what you think is right, we get into a lot of problems. Sure. And my role is to speak up. Mm. And when I speak up, people are, it's okay to speak up. So sort of like giving them that kind of like modeling to say that it's okay to say it when you really, really think it's wrong. Right, right, right. Uh, So when they see it every now and then, then they know that they can actually say it out loud. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: That seems like something that, that the Japanese employees should be grateful for rather than jealous of or <laughs> maybe upset with, right? When you said it, it could maybe be lonely, you're mm-hmm. also trailblazing for them in, in, in and making their lives easier. But is that is that how they look at it or is it maybe yeah. a little more one-sided? It mm.
2: really depends on trade-off of who's getting you know the, the better side of it. Right, the same I guess time, that's true, yeah. You're also causing a lot of problems for other people. Right, yeah, because right. then, you know, uh, one of the best ways for my colleagues to actually use me is that, you know, when they want to say something yeah. to the executive or to their bosses, yeah. which they couldn't say, they always ask me to say it for them. Right, right. That's uh, interesting. And uh, I'm actually in quite a lucky position because, mm. you know, first I'm a gaijin. You know, gaijin being a foreigner. Mm. Foreigner, sometimes you can easily brush you, Ah, oh, okay, because he's just a foreigner, he doesn't know the rules. So, okay, let's just forgive him. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I play a really fine line of breaking the rules, not breaking the rules. Right. Places, you know, using my cards, right, right, probably to make yeah. sure that I get my message across.
1: Sure, uh, sure. Moving forward, All right? You've been here for six years now, working in HR. Like the position, mm-hmm. where where is your mindset for maybe the next five years or ten years?
2: Um, well, there's two things that I really enjoy nowadays. You know. One is helping others or facilitate and help others to actually be creative, mm. you know, and help people to be creative, to be collaborative and all that because, you know, that, that, that really brings me a lot of joy and satisfaction. Mm. Because I we believe that everybody is creative, you know, when we were born, we, we lost it somehow along the way, we get serious, we stop asking questions, we stop yeah. being curious. Yeah. So, one of the things that I really like to do is to help people to be creative again, mm. to be collaborative. And uh, Japan is a great place, actually, to do that. First of all, because... You know, There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, <laughs> society is very siloed. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. to be able to be to be that kind of, like, you know, catalyst to help that mm. to happen, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, mm. you can definitely affect the change. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's one of the things that I really enjoy, and I think... You know, Japan is, is is a good place to continue doing this mm. uh, because not many people do this. Right. Because a lot of Japanese want to go global, and language is always a, an issue. Sure. So we, being you know, uh, non-Japanese that can speak Japanese a little bit and understand the culture, can be that bridge for them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one thing I enjoy doing. The second thing I really enjoy is, is nature as well. Mm. Japan is really beautiful. I mean, you have you have beautiful is. mountains, you have beautiful islands, and all that. So, you know, in five years. Well, the goal would be for me to be like a global global citizen to do what I enjoy, this facilitating curiosity, but live in a, mm. you know on an exotic island <laughs> back in Ishigaki. Right. So right. that would be that would be cool. Yeah. And that that is not impossible anymore because it's mm. really thanks to COVID, Corona. Now a lot of yeah. people take remote work like as a norm. Sure. You don't really need to be in the office to do your stuff. Right. Right. So the thing that I do to facilitate global collaboration, you know. I don't need to be in any office, you know, because I'm going to anyway connect to everybody all over Online, the world. Online, yeah. yeah. So, you know, being in a place that I I, I really enjoy, being in you know, a beautiful island, for example, in Shigaki, and doing mm-hmm. what I enjoy most, there will be a, you know, a real midterm goal that I'm actually looking at
1: right now. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me about the idea of facilitating collaboration. Mm-hmm. What is it that you do to facilit- facilitate that collaboration? Where, what are some of the problems that you see in Japan that maybe Japanese companies, Japanese organizations mm-hmm. um, often run into? Uh, why is it that the creativity of Japanese people is stifled, perhaps more so than in other countries? Mm-hmm. Or, what, are, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think facilitating, you know, collaboration and creativity is not mm. really rocket science and things like there, there are certain, you know, of course they are part science, part art, but mm. it's really about the process, mm. you know, and how you build and design the process to allow people to actually share and to think and to cross-pollinate ideas. Mm. Uh, to me, I think, personal opinion, I think one of the biggest hurdles in Japan is, is the lack of psychological safety. Mm. You know? Define that because mm. listeners might not be familiar with that term uh well it's, it's just a sense of i think safety in you know for example in a meeting right am I allowed to you know say what I feel is right mm. without being judged or without being even punished right right uh-huh so so Japan being you know uh, a culture with really strict hierarchical structure mm you have to be careful what you say, what you don't say and things like that. Yeah. Even though you think it's the right thing to say, you have to be very careful what you say because you might offend someone and that might jeopardize, jeopardize your entire career. Right. Uh, so uh, that, that has been something really lacking in the Japanese corporate society, the corporate world, mm. to have the psychological safety for people to actually speak up what they think is right. Yeah. Especially for the, I think, the operational level worker. Because why? Mm. They are the one that are always in touch with the client and customer. They are the one who knows all the pains and all the needs of the clients. Right. You know, people in the middle management executive, they don't really understand that. Because sure. they don't meet the customer anymore anyways. Right, right. So, without without giving them, you know, the, the, the authority to speak up on behalf of the customer. Mm it's gonna be really difficult for any company to innovate to collaborate or to, you know to, to, to be creative anymore yeah yeah um, and it's not only my say on that you know I mean everybody knows that Google did a huge project yeah understanding and studying you know the internal groups in, in Google you know what are the most uh, important elements for any teams to be productive and creative and they actually singled it as psychological safety mm. the ability for people to actually speak up uh, the ability for people to actually have equal time mm. of sharing their opinion and that is actually the essence of diversity and inclusion actually mm. y- you don't have a lot of diversity sure. a lot of talent different gender different nationality and you don't give them the space to speak equally so it doesn't matter at all Yeah, and mm, this, this could be a problem in Japan they do a lot of promotion on diversity right now <laughs> but they don't promote a topic, yeah? psychological safety for these diverse people to speak up Right. frankly and safely right, right so to me i think that could be one of the biggest hurdles mm. you know.
1: yeah well it's very yeah right now diversity in japan seems to be very superficial um and that's i think because this has roots in the fact that japan formerly um and and still to a strong extent is a, is a society that's based on lifetime employment mm-hmm. right so so long as you didn't make any major mistakes and sort of toe the party line you would be guaranteed to move up in the company yeah. and gain a higher salary. Your job would be protected. And this is the system that was in place during Japan's economic miracle, mm-hmm. right? Uh, up until the bubble burst in the early 90s. And a lot of the, the people who are still in, who are middle ma- managers, executives in Japanese companies today are still familiar with that system, yeah. right? This is what they adhere to. And so the right now the 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 word diversity it has has finally gained some traction within Japanese society, but the concept of diversity is it's not quite there yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so actualizing that sort of diversity within the Japanese companies then doesn't just come from hiring foreigners, it comes from providing these environments in which they would be able to share their mm-hmm. ideas free freely. Right, um, where their cultures and backgrounds would be
2: respected, etc., and that
1: that's what what you're speaking to with psychological safety. Then, yeah,
2: yeah, in many yeah. different ways. But this is, I think, one of the core issues that we need to solve mm. because if that values you know are embedded into everyone's mm. mind, yeah, then there is gonna be no psychological safety, and then there's no use to have diversity because you know, mm. you want that yes, conflict right. of healthy conflict of ideas and opinions, yeah. And that is the reason we want diversity. Right, but if right. you know that kind of you know uh, shoe polishing is the number mm-hmm. one criteria you need to be appraised properly or well or get promoted, there is no reason to have diversity in any company then.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh-huh. exactly right. And you're just going to have various iterations of the the current executives' ideas passed yeah. down the line over and over and over again, mm-hmm. right? So I have two questions finishing up. Mm. First, uh, I have the impression that you, you like skydiving, right? Yeah. That you're quite obsessed with <laughs> skydiving. Yeah? I've, I've gone skydiving once, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. Not something that I necessarily would want to make a regular hobby. Mm. Yeah? What is, what, what is it that attracted you to skydiving? Why, why do you jump so much?
2: I do a lot of extreme sports. Uh, you yeah. know, when I was in Shiga,ki windsurfing is not that extreme. Yeah, not really that extreme. Neither but, is squash. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but I did a little bit of a uh, flying trapeze. Really? Yeah. Wow! Wow! When I was in that place where I work in Shiga,ki the sports resort in Klarman, mm. that was a bit extreme because you know you, you you don't get to teach people flying trapeze and you know and fly around and catch people and all that. Yeah. Uh, now skydiving, so a lot of people think that I'm sort of like an adrenaline junkie. Right, right. Okay. That is, you know, the general impression that people mm. have, mm. but, uh, I think adrenaline plays a part, but it's not really that I'm after actually. Mm. You know, one thing with skydiving is that it's pretty dangerous. Yeah. You really have to listen very well to what people tell you that you need to do, mm follow the rules mm. if you want to, if you don't want to die or injure yourself mm. badly mm. and uh, I like being in that state where I have to be really focused mm. and pay attention to what people say and be humble mm. and try to learn as much as possible mm. so that sports that activity is is one of the things that I will have no ego right. And I'll be so focused and just do whatever people tells me to do. Mm, that's interesting. Yes. That's the exact opposite of the impression
1: that most people have of yeah. someone who loves to skydive. Yeah. Right? I mean, there are a lot yeah. of
2: different characteristics And the character uh-huh. in the skydiving... I mean, the, the general people think about skydiving if a junkie... Yeah, they they ja- and general junkies. Drag- they do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But not in Japan, okay? Japan, no. yeah, They don't China. do that kind of... Japan is very strict. Yeah. Uh, but... Seriously, that is what I look for. And I had a conversation with another friend of mine. I mean, he's uh, he's American as well. He's a good friend. We went to skydive in Cebu. And I asked him the same Mm. question. Hey, why skydive? You know what he told me? What's that? He said, during free fall, that 40 seconds, 50 seconds is the only time he can experience mindfulness. I said, What? (laughs) Are kidding me? You experience mindfulness when you're falling down at 300 kilometers, 400 kilometers an hour? He said, yes, because that is the only time that I don't think about anything else. Just totally in the moment. Yeah, mm. and just be totally focused in checking my, my, my height, my altimeter, you know. Right, right. And making sure that I'm truly focused in that one activity. Mm. Okay. Fair enough, because I had sort of like the same feeling, you know. Mm. But mine is more on the time when I'm preparing for the jump. Right, right. We yeah, really focus weird. and yeah. listen to what we're going to do. Yeah, This is the order we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to jump off the plane. This is what we're going to do, you know, during the free fall. So it's rather similar. And oh, Okay, yeah, these guys, you know, have the same mindset as I do. Right. So this is just the way I see it. Yeah. That's great. How many jumps have you done? Not mm. a lot, though. Uh, mm. Around 100 now. Yeah, not so many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the goal is to have first 200 jumps. Yeah. So I can put on a wingsuit. Yeah. You know, in order to put on a wingsuit, you have to jump 200 times. That's crazy. So yeah. the, the, the ultimate goal is to be able to jump off a cliff and do the wingsuit. You know, like you can always, you know, usually watch that in... in, in yeah, yeah. The so, that yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You showed me that many times before. Yeah. And in order to do that, you yeah. you sort of have at least do like, I don't know, uh, I don't have an exact figure, but at least 500 times mm. with that wingsuit on, perhaps, and also a, a couple of hundred times of base jumping <sighs> not just jumping off the plane base jumping is extremely dangerous though right well jumping off a cliff with the wingsuit is even more dangerous than base jumping right so you're, you're still building up then right? yeah. like, <laughs> uh, yes base uh, jumping is really dangerous and yeah. you don't get into the sports uh, without any network and connection because you need people to take care of you right yeah right. I imagine I imagine mm. <sighs> Gotta,
1: gotta crawl before you walk, right? Uh And yeah, Yeah. gotta walk before you jump. Um, All right. So then the last question, we can wrap this up is, uh, what advice do you have for foreigners who are maybe interested in living and working in Japan?
2: Uh, Well, as a matter of fact, I think it's not only in Japan. Uh, mm, I also like to listen to podcasts and I I recently listened to a podcast from an entrepreneur and he said this, the key to survival nowadays is to have the ability to learn mm. and learn and relearn at the pace of change mm. and i it's changing so fast yeah and then um he said at the end is that one of the found funda- funda- found foundational value for that to happen is to have humility mm. Uh, then when I listen to that yeah it's so true yeah and uh, you know me when I, mean, I relate that back to my sky then it's the same thing mm. you know I like doing new things why because I like to be in that you know beginner stage beginner mind and beginner mode right. all the time right and I enjoy, you know, being surrounded by people that are smarter than me, that are more experienced than me. Right. Why? Because I can feel that humility, you know, being humble that I don't know anything at all. Right. So I think this is what we really need to have because, you know, be it in your private life, you're in your corporate life, the speed of change is so fast mm. and your ability to unlearn and relearn, I think, is the only way to survive, not only in Japan, anywhere else, I think. You know, one of the problems that a lot of foreigners coming to Japan is that, you know, oh, this is the way things are done in America. You know, I don't like Japan anymore. And then they struggle with that conflict. whether right. they leave or they have conflict with the people, at the end they felt that they are being like, I don't know, undermined because you know, the yeah. Japanese doesn't understand our culture and all that. Right. And then I think this is uh, going to be a never-ending you know, mm. battle or conflict. So for the first person, you know, an individual who really understand the, you know, the importance of being humble, Mm. To unlearn what you have from, you know, from from your own culture and relearn into, you know, another culture, I think, is really crucial to survival nowadays.
1: Well, that's not, I think that's true for someone, anyone looking to live outside of their their native culture, right? Even Mm. for an American who goes to Europe, if they're narrow-minded or short-sighted, I think they'll run into similar problems. Mm. Japan just amplifies that right? Because it's so much different from, Mm -hmm. from Western culture in so many ways. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Humility is very important. And yeah, like you said, if you are going to, to go, um, go abroad, try to live for any, you know, extended period of time, you have to be willing to let your brain get scrambled a little Mm -hmm. bit. uh... If not, there's, it's, uh, it's not going to last but
2: it's easier said than done because you know as an mm. SVH, we age, we'll get more experience you know the ego grows bigger and bigger as well How mm. can you be you know be, be, be humble and be proud of your own achievement at the same time mm. so it's very contradicting for, for example even it's interesting mm. any Japanese company that hires a foreigner is because of what you can do mm. you know because of your experience and because of your achievement and all that right And then with that kind of feeling coming into a company, it's very difficult to be humble at the same time sometimes. Mm. So that, you know, being a foreigner, you know, being the the so-called skilled worker to be actually hired in in Japan, Mm. you have to play and understand that balance really well in order to make yourself, you know, work here. Sure, well, yeah, and
1: humility maybe is often confused with weakness Mm -hmm. a lot, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially in the corporate world. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, coming in, uh, you're going to stick out as a foreigner. There are most likely going to be expectations. And so checking your ego uh, while also meeting the expectations of those around you. Yeah, that's a difficult balance, but it seems like you've done it
2: pretty well. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm struggling with that as well. Mm. Uh, but coaching helps a lot. Sure. Uh, mm. Coaching, why I I believe is really useful for myself and for I mean the Japanese corporate world because it's the art of asking powerful questions mm. and the art of listening. Mm. So asking powerful questions is not really a sign of weakness. Mm. Sometimes it's a sign of curiosity. Right. It's a it's, it's a sign of humility as well because you want to know more. Right. And if you write, if you ask the right, the, the right question, you know you can trigger some emotion in people. That, oh, this guy is interested in what I do let's yeah. tell him a little bit more and then that can actually help build relationship as well. Sure. So if you couple, you know, uh, the skill of asking powerful question and really good active listening, I think this could be, you know, a really practical tool mm. for anybody to actually kind of like show curiosity and humility in the things that you do without showing that sign of weakness actually. Mm. Mm.
1: yeah, That's great. Do you have any open workshops or things like that?
2: What? people want to learn from you or you know ah well uh, in mm. fact uh, me and a couple of friends we actually you know run a place called diversity dojo there we go okay Okay. Yeah. it was actually uh, a movement that we started a couple of years outside of the university called totsubashi at that time yeah in tokyo yeah in tokyo but then uh, after you know corona came you know we, we started to put a lot of physical so-called of it's actually a free public workshop that we do every first Monday of every month mm. for two hours. So mm. for people to actually get together, to share some skills and to share some things. Okay. Uh, because of Corona, what we actually, what actually happened or is actually a, another good thing is that we, we, we go virtual. Yeah. And we have like, I think one event every week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's great. One event every week. And then we actually have got volunteers, you know, some real professional facilitator and coaches who will come in, volunteer the time and volunteer their tools and actually host uh, a session for like 90 minutes to two hours wow and uh, what what has been fun is that because now not only the japanese because it's not physical anymore we see people from all over the countries you know we have got you know people coming from europe africa yeah and from america to do all that so you know if any one of you interested you know you can always just i think you could just google or not google go to facebook and search for diversity dojo doj and you can find the page and then you can see you know you can actually i think subscribe to the mailing list and then they will actually send you a mail telling you when you're going to get an event and all that in fact i think this Wednesday there we're going to have one event really yeah excellent well, i'll check that
1: out as well anyone yeah. who's interested should definitely look into that yeah thanks a lot this is fascinating conversation man thank you it's good, been good a to lot finally of fun. learn about your yeah <laughs> where you came from yeah so. thanks for having me here yeah excellent